Welcome to the Future of Medicine podcast, where we believe that feeling great and living a long time is possible and that your healthcare should help you get there. I'm your host, Dr. Aaron Wenzel. My hope is simple, that this show will help you along your journey to becoming the healthiest, strongest, and most powerful version of you possible. Now, let's jump into the show. Hey, everybody. Uh, This episode of the Future of Medicine podcast is a little more technical than we normally get, uh, all about uh, a, a 2020 look at cholesterol, its importance, and its significance in your assessment of your personal risk factor for cardiovascular disease. You will not want to miss this episode or the details and the action steps at the very end. We give you exactly what you need to be looking at, measuring, measuring. in order to truly have some insight into your risk for the number one killer of humans on the planet. Hope you enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Future of Medicine podcast. I am your host, Dr. Aaron Wenzel, and I am joined today by the lovely and the talented Jennifer Justice. Hello. (laughs) I always look forward to your intros. (laughs) They're my favorite part of the show. Amazing. This week's episode is all about uh, cholesterol. Uh, but not in the classic sense. This is really uh, something that I squeezed into our podcast schedule because of some things that I have uncovered and cannot wait to get them out into the world. And um, this is a cholesterol update for 2020. And I know Jen is excited and nervous because this (laughs) is a little technical, I think. I think it's very technical. And it's completely different from the way I was taught and trained to talk about cholesterol with Mm -hmm. patients. Yeah. Well, me too. Mm -hmm. Because we're all part of the system that teaches and broken systems produce broken things. Right. And I am really excited about this because I am convinced that if you have a goal as a healthcare provider to improve the quality and length of your patient's life and your number one priority is not to fully deeply and elegantly understand the number one killer of human beings on the planet, I don't know how you can achieve that goal. Right. And I have been wanting to dig into some data and some science that I knew existed, but I didn't have my head all the way around it for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And on the back end of somewhere between 80 and 100 hours of really deep, nerdy level um, work on my own, just for my own edification, I I was, I came out of that exercise just completely blown away, um, embarrassed, feeling guilty, um, but motivated to, to get this right Mm -hmm. and to get my head around it to where I could, could deliver it to as many people as possible in the shortest amount of time. So mm-hmm. that's why this, although wasn't on our master schedule of uh, pieces of content to produce, it quickly became the next thing we have to, to do. Um, yeah. And so I think the main point, uh, as I give full disclosure, we're going to get into a little bit of, not a little bit, we're going to get into quite a bit of technicality, uh, Jen and I are, but we're going to end this with some really actionable, practical steps that you can take and your need for understanding the details is not critical. The important thing is that you understand the general direction of the story mm-hmm. and the things that you need to be sure that you do understand. And right. we'll, we'll point those things out. 
And I think that was true for you too, Jen, right? When I was sharing all this with you, you're like, huh? Yeah. Wow. I mean, you can get really lost in all of the technicality of it and the biochemistry, but I think what we're intending to do today is to deliver it in a way that's very easy, easily understood. And then yeah. action steps. What do I need to do to make sure I'm taking every precaution that I can to prevent this killer of humans? I mean, that's the number one thing. Yeah. And you have a topic like cardiovascular disease mm -hmm. and we know cholesterol's involved somehow, but you have opposite ends of the spectrum. You, you have some people who say it doesn't matter. And then you have other people who say it's the only thing that matters. Well, how could that means neither of those are right. Right. I mean, the, the, the truth is, is eluded a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And while I don't claim to have the market cornered on this truth and this understanding, th this is, uh, the truest, um, most comprehensive understanding that I have ever had. Mm -hmm. And I'm weirdly obsessed with this more than most people. So I'm sure there are people who understand this better and deeper than I do. But um, this is a really, really important topic. Yeah. And I, I think at the highest level, acknowledging the complexity yeah. is critical. And that this is my understanding, our understanding as of the spring of 2020. Mm -hmm. um, and as our understanding of science and the biochemistry and the physiology continue to unfold, this is an ongoing narrative. But as of right now, this is, this is everything yeah. that we know. Um, I will also s say that this is misunderstood by most, mm -hmm. including myself up until about two, three months ago yeah. where I started putting all these pieces together. And then once I realized I was onto something, I had to quickly put this together in a way that I could deliver it. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be my attempt today. I think we, we deal with cholesterol on a spectrum because on one hand, it's clearly essential for life. Mm -hmm. um, but then when we look inside of a, a coronary artery and we look at a plaque, we see cholesterol there too. And so it's, it's clearly involved to what degree is where the debate is, but it's not evil. Right. I mean, it, you, you can't have something essential for life and, and be evil. Yeah. That, 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 that doesn't, so it lives on this spectrum of reality. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where it's, it's a highly uh, debated topic. There mm -hmm. are a lot of billion dollar economic machines around this topic to get you to believe one thing or another. And the truth is m the overwhelming majority of people, including healthcare providers, me have this all wrong. Mm-hmm. Re really. Um, That's a bold statement. Well, I used, used to, I pride myself in taking a lot of time on things that matter. Yeah. And majoring in major things. Mm -hmm. And cardiovascular disease has been something, I mean, you've known me for, how long have we known each other now? Six years. It's, that's an ongoing debate, too, the <laughs> timeline. But, I mean, there are just a handful of topics that I'm continually pounding on yeah. to try to understand. And heart disease will never not be on the list. Yeah. I mean, as long as there are humans that, will, that are dying from heart disease, I care deeply about it. Mm -hmm. And cholesterol, I need to understand it. And so... In my own feeling that I was understanding this really well, it was incredibly 
enlightening Mm -hmm. to see how wrong I have been. Not wrong intentionally, but just um, how deluded my thinking was Mm -hmm. and how many critical pieces of science that have been unfolded in the last 10 to 12 years that I was missing. Yeah. Um, I think that's what blows my mind about all of this is this is not something that has come out in the past even like five years. No, this has been around. Yeah. Like I didn't have to hunt for this. That just shows you how behind the medical, you know, the standard medical community is when it comes to understanding and applying data to, to, you know, how we manage patients day to day. It's, it's nobody graduating medical school right now is getting this information. It has not made it to the medical text yet. It's 12 years old. Some of this data that we're going to give the listeners. The reason this is important is when you look on the planet of all of the things that take humans off the earth, Number one and number two are heart attack and stroke. Mm-hmm. 15 million people a year. Wow. 15 million. Um, you know, nothing is more important uh, than understanding the risks that would lead you towards heart attack or stroke. And this is certainly in the mix. Yeah. And so I think at the highest level, Jen, we, we, we get cholesterol from what we eat and we get cholesterol from what we make, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And there's long been a debate especially at our age, we remember the day that cholesterol and fat became bad for us, right? Uh, oh, yeah. In the mid-'80s. Mm-hmm. Um, it, th- this really shouldn't be a debate, but it continues to be a debate. Dietary cholesterol has little to zero impact on your total uh, cholesterol. Um, do you want to talk at, at all about that? or? Well, <clears throat> I think you know that that's the um, concept that, is not actually talked about readily because we still fear fat in our diet. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in a very low fat, high carb uh, household. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, <laughs> I remember my mom saying, Oh, you're eating an avocado. Do you know how many calories are in that? How much fat is in that? And I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, but it's good for me, you know? And so there's still this, um, uh, stigma or misnomer around fat causing high cholesterol. And it's logical. Yeah. You know, you don't want to be fat, so why would you eat fat? Because that's right. going to make you fat. You don't want high cholesterol, so why would you eat things with cholesterol? They're mm-hmm. going to give you high cholesterol. It is logical. Yeah. Which is why this has this false narrative has been allowed to survive for so long. It's actually intuitive, mm-hmm. but it's totally wrong. Yeah. Uh, fat does not make you fat. Excess blood sugar makes you fat. Mm-hmm. That's not even debatable. Yeah. What's also not debatable is eating cholesterol affecting your serum cholesterol. The cholesterol only comes from animal and animal-based products. Right. The, the form of cholesterol that we consume in our diet through animal-based products is called esterified cholesterol. Esterified cholesterol goes into our gut and is not absorbed. Mm-hmm. The only form of cholesterol that we can absorb is the form that we use. And what we use and absorb is called de-esterified or free cholesterol. So in order for your body to absorb that cholesterol out of your gut, it has to de-esterify it. Mm -hmm. The problem is your gut is already filled with tons of cholesterol that came from what you made in your body that was excreted into your bowel through the biliary tract that's already in the free form. So even in the setting where your body was like, oh gosh, we need more cholesterol, it's going to absorb cholesterol from the gut, but it's not going to absorb the cholesterol you ate. It's going to absorb the cholesterol you just recycled. That's amazing that our bodies are inherently capable of providing everything we need right? in that form. Well, what's amazing for me is I'm reading this as a biochemistry guy, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. I knew that. 
Mm-hmm. And I forgot mm-hmm. for a decade. I forgot. Yeah. I answered questions on this and I forgot. So we're going to move quickly through this. If you have an ambition to lower cholesterol or are cholesterol conscious, putting any effort or energy on dietary restriction of cholesterol is a waste of effort, energy, and resources. Yeah. You just need to move on to the next topic. Yep. Now we get into kind of what we – where a lot of – where most people get lost. And this is the transport of cholesterol in the body. Um, cholesterol along with triglycerides form what we call our lipids and lipids are fatty things and, and lipids don't mix in water. Mm -hmm. They don't like water. They don't become one with water. Uh, just like putting a drop of oil in a glass of water, Mm -hmm. you can shake it and stir it all you want. It's going to always remain separated. Yeah. And so in order to transport these molecules through our body, they have to be packaged in something that likes water. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that that thing that they get packaged in is called a lipoprotein. Not super important that you know the lipoprotein, but in case you're curious, that lipoprotein is the L in HDL, LDL. Mm-hmm. It's low-density mm-hmm. lipoprotein, high-density lipoprotein. It just – it's – in respect to the density of the lipoprotein, the the shuttle, the transport of these fatty substances through our body to the tissue and then from the tissue back to the liver and to be recycled. And this really intricate superhighway of transportation of lipids because they're very important. Mm-hmm. But they don't travel in a free form. They have to be sent there in a, in a vehicle of some sort. And these lipoproteins are these vehicles To help facilitate the transport of these lipoproteins, these lipoproteins can be tagged with something called an apoprotein. Um, The apoprotein is just a marker on the surface of these lipoproteins that help dictate where these lipoproteins will end up Mm -hmm. and what actions they ultimately end up doing. Of all the apoproteins um, we really care about, there are two classes. One is called the ApoB, and these are the... ApoBs are solely responsible for taking energy to the cells, to tissue. Um, so they're kind of like delivery trucks. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, did I steal your thunder? No, I love it. <laughs> I, I love it. I, I've been calling them delivery trucks for a long time. I like that analogy. Yeah, and, and these delivery trucks take all of the energy to cells, and these are things like LDL, IDL, and VLDL. Of all the different types of ApoBs there are, 98% of all ApoBs are uh, LDL. Mm. So when we look at, this is how it commonly gets referred to as bad cholesterol, even mm-hmm. though it's completely a misnomer. Yep. This, this is the form of cholesterol that ultimately gets deposited into the peripheral tissue that ends up causing problems. Mm. And so uh, LDL is what we really care about uh, in large part in the ApoB. The other apoprotein class is called an ApoA1, and this is primarily HDL. And I call those what, Jen? Uh, those are dump trucks. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're scavengers. They're cleanup. Yeah. And, 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 you know, so you have the delivery trucks that take all the energy to the periphery. And then you have the HDL, which are the dump trucks, which go around cleaning up. And they're involved in recycling. And they have a lot of antioxidant, anti-inflammatory properties. And HDL, also wrongly considered uh, called good cholesterol. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that's where those names come from. 
Um, the delivery trucks get all the blame, and the cleanup trucks, the dump trucks, get all the the praise. Mm-hmm. And you know, directionally, I suppose it's the right idea, but there are some details that get lost. Um, however, when we look at the standard lipid panel, this is where when you go and say, "I wonder how my cholesterol is," mm-hmm. and your doctor pulls a lipid panel. What's in a lipid panel? Uh, in a standard lipid panel, we have a total cholesterol. We have an LDL concentration or LDLC. Mm-hmm. We have an HDL concentration or HDLC, and we have your triglyceride levels. Yeah, and and you and I have for a long time been looking at that, but looking <clears throat> at it through the eyes of people who look at it differently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, what are you primarily looking at when you look at a standard lipid panel? Um, well, first of all, it's it's kind of a theme. Um, you know, even when we uh, explain lab work to our patients, there's always a total, but then we need to know the breakdown, right? Mm-hmm. Whether I'm explaining their body composition, great to know your total weight, but we need to know, know the mm-hmm. the breakdown of that weight. How much is lean mass? How much is body fat? So starting with the total cholesterol, I usually look at the, the number, but kind of dismiss it because I need to know the breakdown. And then I look at, you know, the LDLC, HDLC, and then the triglycerides. But as you point out, we also need to know the ratio between the mm-hmm. HDL and the triglycerides. That's super important. Yes. Yeah, and I would argue the only <clears throat> thing of any value on a standard lipid panel is the percentage yeah. of the ratio between triglycerides to HDL. Right. And I'm looking at it very differently now, knowing this new inf- – well, not really new information, but to know just your LDL concentration or your HDL concentration – uh, those are great numbers to have, but you have to know your particle number. Yeah, and we're going to break we're going to break that down yeah. and w- what all that means. So when you look at the standard lipid panel, you have the four things that Jen just talked about. But the challenge is is that we've already identified the LDL as being the ApoB particle that we really care about the most. The problem is on a standard panel, it's only giving an estimate of the concentration, and this estimate is given in weight, mm-hmm. not in particle numbers. And what has been shown abundantly clear, especially over the last 10 or 12 years, study after study after study after study, you cannot trust concentration to be a predictive variable for cardiovascular risk. You have to know the particle number. It's not how big the LDL particles are, it's how many, many. are there. Right. And the, the truth is, if you don't know your particle number, your LDLP, your LDL particle number, not your LDLC, if you don't know your LDLP, you don't know your risk for cardiovascular disease. Mm-hmm. You just don't. Yeah. And that was a big smack in the face mm-hmm. because I have long known total cholesterol is an utterly worthless number. Yeah. It, like, it may as well not even be there. It mm-hmm. means zero yeah. to me. And I've known that LDLC was unreliable. But I wouldn't have gone so far as to say, I don't know your risk. Mm-hmm. But this helps me to understand why I can have a vegan with an LDLC of 70 have a complete heart block and a cardiac event with a LDLC of 70. It's because when you dig into their particle numbers, they're through the roof. Mm-hmm. It's got nothing to do with your concentration number. And this is something we're going to talk about in a little bit called concordance and discordance. But the bottom line is if you don't know your particle number, you don't know your risk. So if you don't listen to the rest of this podcast and the only thing you get out of this is I need to ask my doctor what my LDL particle number is, you'll have gotten the main take on point. Yeah. 
the most important thing that nobody, the most important thing that very few people know is their LDL particle number. Mm -hmm. And up until recently, I was not getting this regularly on people. I will now. Yeah. Because now I understand the importance because it's not about how much they weigh. It's how many there are. Mm -hmm. So how do the particle numbers then uh, contribute to hardening of the arteries or atherosclerosis? Yeah. That's a big word, but <laughs> it's yeah, hard try to spelling it. I know. <laughs> I'm always like, did I spell that right? Uh, atherosclerosis, which again is what we're talking about. This is the narrowing of an artery wall due to the development of a cholesterol-based plaque. And there really is no debate on how this happens it's important and worthwhile to review mm -hmm. because I think it helps really cement one's understanding and why this is such a big deal. So we have the lining of an artery and arteries are blood vessels that feed tissue oxygenated blood. Right. Veins take deoxygenated blood away. Arteries take oxygen rich blood to the tissue. Inside of the lining of these arteries is a, is a group of cells called your endothelium. This is the thin layer of cells that protect and line the arteries. In order for the atherosclerotic process to begin, an ApoB particle has to penetrate the endothelium. Mm -hmm. But that's only step one. Step number two is it has to stay there. Mm -hmm. There are many things that penetrate the endothelium, HDL do, but they leave. Yeah. And they leave with scraps and inflammatory things and... That's the dump truck. <laughs> right. But these delivery truck, these ApoBs penetrate the wall and then they stay. And this is where the problem happens. Mm -hmm. Because when they stay, it mounts an immune response. Mm -hmm. And when an immune response takes place, we have inflammatory changes and swelling. And the swelling then creates more space for additional ApoB particles to get into the endothelium, thereby forming a cholesterol core of... Um, a plaque. Mm -hmm. This plaque continues to grow as it matures, it calcifies and hardens. And as that gets older and unstable, these plaques can rupture, go downstream. And like a big boulder in the stream, it can stop blood flow distally mm -hmm. and all that tissue dies because yeah. tissue without blood flow dies. Yep. That's a heart attack. If it, it could happens be heart. Time. It could be brain. Yeah. Gut. Yep. Gut. Um, anywhere where oxygenated blood flows, a plaque can break off and cause a clog mm -hmm. and then distal tissue will die due to lack of blood flow and oxygen. And this is really important because these ApoB particles are clearly the culprit and it has far less to do with how big they are and more to do with how many there are. Mm -hmm. So you could take the same weight of ApoB particles and some of them are huge and the other group, they're very, very small, and there's just so many more of them. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a total number over time that put you at risk for these particles to get in there. Mm -hmm. This is why the number is far more important than the concentration. Right. Concentration just looks at the total weight and gives you no insight into how many particle numbers there are. Mm -hmm. This is the difference between knowing your risk and guessing your risk. Yeah. And so that leads us into a concept of concordance and discordance can you explain what those are um so just like you said knowing your apob number particle number, particle number versus your ldl concentration so if i'm looking at a lab sheet and i see someone's 
LDLC is... Which is the standard test. Yep, is n- normal, and their ApoB is normal. They have concordance, right? Correct. It's, it's the same. Then that LDLC on the standard particle number is, in fact, predictive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. However, if I look on the lab sheet and I see their LDLC is normal, but their ApoB number is high... That's discordance. That's discordance, and that, to me, would send red flags. Well, it better, mm-hmm. because that LDL now, because of the discordance, is unreliable and non-predictive. Right. This is the vegan with an LDL of 70, whose ApoB particles are through the roof. Right. And they think there's no way they can have a heart attack. Next thing you know, they have 100% of occlusion of the LAD. Yeah. And what? so the... The percentage of people, this is scary to me. This was very scary to me. (laughs) The percentage of people that had a, let me get this right, normal LDLC, but an APOB, high APOB, signaling red flags is about 22%. Is that right? Yes. So one in four people could have a normal LDLC on their lab sheet, but have these APOB particles that That are are putting them at risk. That are putting them at risk, and we're going to miss it. So this is super crazy to me. Mm Mm-hmm. Because this is ideal. In a perfect, ideal situation, in a, no, in a non-diabetic, non-hypertensive, yep. non-metabolic syndrome, non-smoking scenario. Healthy person. Which, real quick, 25% of the U.S. population, adult population, is already diabetic. It's estimated another 25% are diabetic and have not been diagnosed. Mm-hmm. It's also estimated that an additional 25% are on the diabetic spectrum and already with metabolic syndrome and insulin resistance. So that leaves us a whopping one in four adults in America that are ideal. Mm -hmm. Of all of those people on the planet, in that perfect situation, there's 22% of those people are going to have discordance between their APOB particle number and their LDLC, which means one, almost one in four of ideally perfectly healthy people, you're going to miss a cardiac event because you didn't risk stratify properly. Yeah. That blows my mind. It's, it's super scary. Then when you look at the data that say, well, let's overlay some accelerators of the dis- this discordance. So that is only 25% of the people who have an ideal situation. What about somebody who doesn't have an ideal situation? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, metabolic syndrome, insulin resistance, diabetes, 63% discordance. Jeez. We're talking about the number one killer of humans on the planet. We're also talking about a disease called diabetes, insulin resistance, metabolic syndrome that will not be outpaced on the planet over the next 20 years. Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, we are, this is, this is a, a cluster. Yeah. And I am guilty. Mm-hmm. This is not like groundbreaking evidence. This is not like just hot off the press. This is 10, 11, 12 years old. Mm-hmm. How did I not know this? Well, it takes time. It's not being taught. You have to teach yourself. It, this is why I wanted to get this out ASAP. Chances are the listeners of this episode right now are going to be like, huh? Just write this down. Go to your doctor and say, I would like to know, in addition to my standard lipid panel, I would like you to get my ApoB particle number. Or, depending on the lab, you may just be able to get your LDL particle number. And you need to compare that number to your LDLC, which comes on your standard test. And if they're concordant, in other words, similar, mm-hmm. good. 
then you can take your LDLC and your standard part your standard uh, lipid panel and say, well, I can extract my risk from this. It's either high or low or or whatever. But if there's discordance, you better err on the side of your particle number. Yeah. And completely ignore your LDL concentration number. Yeah. I'll say it again. If you don't know your particle number, you don't know your risk. Mm-hmm. This is hugely, hugely important. Um, let's talk briefly about HDL, and then we're going to move to kind of a seven-step approach that I like to give to people because this is the way I handle this topic one-on-one, mm-hmm. um, HDL. Um, anything you want to say about HDL? Um, only the fact that I was typically taught and trained that it was the good cholesterol. <laughs> Wrong. Well, you know, it, it it is, but all cholesterol is, it is what it is, right? That's exactly right. There's no Chole- good, there's no bad. not good and bad. It is what it is. It just is. is. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. Here's what we know. I'm not going to give a dissertation on HDL. But if you have a lot of HDL, that's good. Yeah. The more you have, the better. However, in cases where we raise it in isolation, most classically niacin, we thought niacin was going to be the greatest drug Mm -hmm. on the planet because it can lower triglycerides and it raises HDL. I mean, that is the perfect, no better outcomes. Wow. There are some people that would believe that HDL is just kind of along for the ride. Um, and if you have more of it, good, but you didn't do anything probably to deserve it. And if you're in efforts to raise it, don't improve outcomes. All we know is that the more you have, the better. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a high HDL, the most important thing is the ratio to triglycerides. Right. Because that is indicative of insulin resistance and metabolic syndrome. And you want that ratio triglyceride to HDL, which you can get from a standard lipid panel, mm-hmm. which we have, we have known – this is one area where we have not been dropping the ball. We have been on this for seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has been something that I've woven into my practice. You've got to hunt for metabolic syndrome. You don't wake up with diabetes one day. This right. is You are mapping it for a decade at mm-hmm. least, and you've got to be looking for it. And the first thing you can typically find is you'll start to see a rise in your triglycerides to HDL. And if that ratio is over four, you have metabolic syndrome, which means you are insulin resistant and you are mapping diabetes ideal is less than two you know you and i try to get our patients to one Mm -hmm. we have a few unicorns out there that are able to get you know under one in other words they might have 50 triglyceride and 70 or 80 hdl they're like at 0.5 it's ridiculous so that's all i'll say about hdl my feeling is we don't know a lot about hdl we don't know exactly how it's beneficial we just know if you have a whole bunch natively it's really good yeah and if you try to raise it it doesn't seem to improve benefit but what you can do is measure and follow that ratio of triglyceride to hdl yep super important um let's talk about our uh, seven step approach to dealing with cholesterol as it pertains to your risk factor for heart disease what's step number one? First thing is the holy grail You've talked about it at length before, but normalize your blood sugar. You've got to normalize your blood sugar. The gospel according to Wenzel. That's right. Insulin <laughs> is the devil. <laughs> we, we can't talk about this uh, enough. No, it, it, it is the holy grail. Um, you have to normalize your blood sugar. You mm-hmm. have to. If, if this is a new concept, please, I encourage you to dig into any of our previous content where we go at length at the importance of norm- normalizing your blood sugar. Um, it is 
far and away the most important thing because to not normalize your blood sugar is to have diabetes. Right. Diabetes is the gateway disease to, to virtually all Western diseases and all the diseases you don't want, whether it's obesity, hypertension, heart disease, dementia, cancer. This is, this is the disease you want to avoid. And the first sign is your uh, blood sugar not being able to be normalized. Right. Step number two. You got to know your numbers. Yep. We talked about a lot of things, Jen. Give, give them, give the listeners kind of a, a thought on what what numbers is our Jen Justice f- focusing on, and and what numbers is she giving her people to to really f- focus on. Well, obviously the standard lipid panel. We still need to get that. Of course, we're not saying not. It's to. not value less. Right. It just needs something else. Yeah. And then uh, your ApoB. Your, your or your uh, LDL particle number, either one of those. Your particle number to right. know if you can trust your LDLC. Right, super important. Yeah, as far as um, normalizing your blood sugar, um, as other signs for insulin resistance, what are the other numbers somebody can be looking at? Um, you could get a hemoglobin A one C, which, which is, is a, your ninety day average mm-hmm. of blood sugar. Yep. And then your triglyceride to HDL ratio, which would yep. also be a great indicator. For sure. Uh, step number three and number four have to do with how to manage modifiable versus non-modifiable risk factors. What is a modifiable risk factor? Um, what are some examples? A modifiable risk factor is one that you can change. That's right. how I would define it. Yep. Um, and it would be um, your diet, exercise. The number one thing is smoking. Please. <laughs> I mean, why are we still smoking, people? I don't get it. Yeah. I mean, but, I understand it's an incredible addiction yeah. and smokers like to smoke. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. Um, and your brain loves nicotine if you yeah. smoke, but you have got all this is for nothing. If you smoke. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you got to quit smoking. Got to. So that's modifiable. Which ones do you say? Exercise, exercise, diet, diet um, weight, alcohol, alcohol, sleep. Yeah. All so all the things, things all the things. Yep. Yeah. All the things we have control over changing. You've got to. So step number four is, to aggressively manage anything that's modifiable, you've got to do all that you can with the things that you actually can influence. Right. Which leads us into step five, which is um, to, to uh, I guess that's step four, uh, to, to manage the non-modifiable. Like mm-hmm. you can't do anything about your family history. Yeah, right? your age. Yeah, I'm a man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't do anything about the fact that I have a greater risk of cardiovascular disease than you do Mm -hmm. as a female. I actually have a great family history, no real cardiovascular disease. That's great, but Mm -hmm. I didn't do anything to earn it. Yeah. It's a non-modifiable risk factor. So those things just need to be managed. They need to be known and be made aware of, but then you have to just manage them. Right. Um, What about, Step five, I, I actually love this because I, th- I feel like you could have all of this great intention and great insight and great wisdom, and then you're going to hit a wall if you're not aligned with the right provider. Oh, yeah. That's a big one. I mean, it's hard to even talk about this without getting emotional, talk, thinking about some of the, the, the folks that we've had the pleasure to work with who, who tearfully just come to us and say, like, you know, I feel like God has brought you in my life mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. the, the power of aligning with the right provider whose values and goals are shared by you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it cannot be overstated. Yeah. 
And if you're in a relationship where there's a lack of trust, Mm -hmm. there's a lack of access, there's a lack of empathy, a lack of communication, you need a better relationship. Yeah. Um, you, this is your most important asset. You have your health. Mm -hmm. You, you deserve to have it be stewarded by a trusted advisor. Yes. I love that. Who you have a real relationship with. Yeah. And so that might be something after you take a bunch of notes, maybe I don't have the right advisor. Yeah. Um, and then number six is never stop learning. Number seven is never stop hunting. I mean, one of the things that I love about the way you and I get to practice is we can make this episode and tell you that this is the leading edge of the razor of knowledge and science, and it can change in eight months. And I'm going to do another episode with you in a year, and we're going to say, guess what? <laughs> we now know more. Yeah. This is – science doesn't change, but our understanding of science is always changing. Mm-hmm. And what I learned as a young medical student was that 50% of everything I'm going to learn is not true, only we don't know which 50%. The other 50% is up to us to continue to learn, continue to hunt. And then you say, well, what do you hunt for? You hunt for the things that are most important. Yeah. And again, this is just one person's point of view, but I think you and I share this, obviously, spending so much time together. Yeah. If you have a goal of helping patients live a long time and feel great, and your primary goals aren't to eliminate your risk, their risk for heart disease, stroke, dementia, cancer, like what are we doing? Right. Like what else matters? Mm-hmm. I don't need to be a master in all everything else. I, I just I want to be continually learning and hunting for things that impact both my life as an almost fifty year old man. Uh, your life mm-hmm. and the lives of our of our patients. I love that. I do too. Um, again, I, this was a pretty technical um, and a little more Wenzel ranting, um, but I I can't overstate enough how important this topic is. Um, we're going to be putting out a whole bunch of other content to help layer in and fill some of these gaps. Um, but I wanted to get this out into the world, into the universe, and let it start to marinate in people's minds. There are better questions to be asking mm-hmm. in order to know your risk for heart disease. And I can't make a stronger plug for you to write the following down. I need to know my ApoB or LDL particle number. I must. Yeah. If I don't know those numbers... I cannot know what my risk for heart disease is just by looking at my standard lipid panel. If you just got that, you're ahead of 98% of people walking around the earth. If you secondarily then understand that your triglyceride to HDL ratio is extremely important, you are in company all by yourself. And we didn't talk about it in this episode, but the LP little a is another marker that can put you at incredible atherosclerotic risk that very few people know what their LP little a is. And we're not going to talk about it in this episode, but if you're interested, there's a fantastic article in the New York times. I believe it was in January of 18, January of 2018 on Bob Harper, Mm. biggest loser. Yep. Bob Harper died in his gym and had to be resuscitated. Massive cardiac event. No cardiac risk factors whatsoever that he thought. 
Mm-hmm. He had a sky high LP little a turns out it's a familial thing. You'd need to know your LP little a. Yeah. I think those are the three most important things. Yeah, absolutely. What are your particle numbers? What's your triglyceride to HDL level? And what is your LD, uh, your LP little a, um, so I hope this was valuable for you guys. Um, please feel free to, to reach out to us if you have questions about this content. Again, we're going to be spending a lot more time working through some of the finer details and, and filling the gap of everyone's knowledge here. But this is really amazing stuff. Um, any other thoughts you've got, Jen? No, I just really wanted to thank you for diving into this. I mean, you, you've taken – I've witnessed over the past you know few weeks you just really – dissecting this it's consumed me yeah and you know looking at it from your scientific physician brain but then um making it consumable for uh gosh i hope i hope i have i look at this and i think man i hope this is not too technical and not flying over don't let its technicality intimidate you or overwhelm you that this is beyond you to understand if you want to understand it you certainly can but the only thing you need to do is get these levels checked. Right. And I just can't stress that enough. Yeah. It's, so uh, thank, thank you for you're, doing well, that, really. You're, you're welcome. And I, I – this is equally convicting as it is exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, right. I've had to grieve the fact that, man, I have really missed the mark. For, yeah. This stuff has been out for all these years and I have – A for effort, Wenzel, but you missed it. Like you missed Mm -hmm. this. I'm not going to miss it anymore. Yeah. And moving forward, these are things that we're going to be tracking and it's, it's, it's unquestionable how important these are. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for, um, being a part of this, um, episode with, with me, Jen. It's always wonderful to get to spend extra time with you. (laughs) It's always a pleasure. And you're basically famous. Everyone loves you. Oh, well, I don't know about that, but I get messages all the time. Hey, when is Jen going to do another episode with you. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I'm like, maybe the next one. Yeah. I enjoy them. I really do. As the nervous world. as I get, I, I really enjoy, um, you know, imparting this information to the world because it's super important. Super important. Yeah. All right, Jen. Well, we appreciate you being here. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll see you next time. I want to thank you so much for your attention. Listen, I don't take it for granted. It means the absolute world to me. You can find out more about today's episode at brentwoodmd.com forward slash podcast. There you'll find the show notes, all the related links to this episode and tons of other resources. If you haven't already subscribed, please do so. And if you've already subscribed, then it would mean so much to me if you left a review. If you think we'd be a good fit to work together, or you would just simply like to know more about the concierge services that I provide my private clients, email us at membership at brentwoodmd.com. And now for the obligatory disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute the practice of medicine or the giving of medical advice as no doctor-patient relationship has been formed. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should seek the advice of their own medical professional providers.